Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Amen. We need to lose our tentativeness. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. God is so good. Praise God. I first, uh, before we do anything, we want to welcome everybody that's here, and we want to welcome everybody that's watching online today. We are so glad for you. Uh, First of all, I want to say how much I appreciate this congregation. The last several weeks have been kind of difficult. Um, As many of you know, uh, several of our staff members uh, uh, contracted COVID and we were kind of out for a little while. Um, And many people, many families in the church kind of went through the church a little bit. And so we uh, appreciate your patience uh, uh, with the shutdown again. uh, We do not like shutting down, um, but we felt that uh, just in the circumstances we are in, that was the the best thing to do. It's the safest thing uh, to do, and also um, it, we had to. <laughs> so it's uh, it was a difficult moment. Uh, with that thought in mind, um, before we move on, I do want to speak to you as a congregation. And you know, we are a church that it really is a friendly church. We love people, and we love loving people. Can you say amen to that? Amen. But we are living in a time, uh, obviously, where there is something out there that's real. Can you say amen? And it is affecting people. COVID is affecting people. And you know what? We're, we're, we need to do our due diligence, church. Um, we want to continue to have services in-house and, and do that. But uh, just as an a encouragement to you and uh, to help us and to help everyone, if you are uh, uh, having any kind of symptoms at all, uh, then you need to make sure that you stay home. Amen. We don't need to be spreading this. Amen. We have services. We provide them online. Uh, You you won't miss a thing. You can go right online, and you can see them right on YouTube or Facebook, and you can see that. Uh, We also want you to make sure that you keep uh, contact um, down to a minimum. Amen. Uh, we understand, I understand, we, we love people and, and everybody, you know, the, the reality is everybody has their comfort level and they all have their uh, thoughts of what they can and can't do. Remember, it's not just about you. Amen. It's about others. And also, um, if you feel like you need to wear a mask uh, to church, uh, please do so. Um, that's nobody's going to say anything. Nobody's going to look at you and go, that's a lack of faith. It's not a lack of faith. I wear my, I believe God for traveling mercies, but I put my seatbelt on. Okay. And so, uh, that's not because I think God's not going to protect me. It's prudent. It's wisdom. And so we want to encourage you, uh, if, 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 you know, that's you and you say, hey, you know what? We need to do our due diligence to protect our community, our church. Then do that. Amen. Um, and so we just want you to help out there. Okay. And so once again, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. Uh, but I do feel like we have to say some things. And so uh, we appreciate that. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me over to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37. Now we will be getting to that text about, I told the 830 service, I said probably halfway through the sermon. It ended up being more like three quarters of the way through the sermon. 
Uh, so you just hang on to that. I have not forgot my text. It's just uh, the placement in the, in the uh, 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 sermon where I want to, to share that. Well, we're at the end of 2020. Amen. Uh, this is the last service, uh, last Sunday service anyway. Uh, we will be having Wednesday service here at the church, and Pastor Alex will be ministering in that, and so don't forget that, 7 o'clock on Wednesday. Uh, but this is the last Sunday service of the year, and what a year it has been. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. I, uh, I was thinking about this uh, uh, the last couple days. It doesn't even seem like it's real. I, I don't know about you, but uh, there were things that when we went into 2020, uh, there were things that we wanted to do. We had plans. There was some, you know, we were gearing up for some things and actually started some things. And, and uh, it was like, okay, this is actually working. And it's like, wow, we're going to, this year is going to be a great year. And then uh, uh, we took a hard left. Amen. 90 degree turn. I don't know if you've ever done a 90 degree turn, but if you do it fast enough, it, it'll eat your lunch for you. And so uh, we, we uh, uh, had that moment. But I was thinking it's almost like uh, there's moments where I think, oh, we got to get this stuff done. And it's like we've been kind of on hold. We've been kind of in this pause place. And so this year has been such a strange year and so much has happened. Amen. And so much has been hindered and so much has been uh, really a struggle. And the question is, this morning, will we ever be the same? And I have really, really good news for you. The answer is an absolute no. We will not be the same. We will be better. Amen. And that is the thing that we need to do. I, I, let me just say this to you today, and let me just speak to you as a pastor and somebody that really cares about your life. I know things are difficult. I know things have gone sideways, and there's all kinds of challenges. But let me tell you something. Our God has a plan. Let me say that again to you. Our God has a plan and we need to keep that in the forefront. In fact, that is so important in this season. We need to be speaking that to one another. We need to say that to one another. So you, what you need to do is you need to walk in and go look at your wife, your husband, your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, or the cashier person at Safeway or the waitress, whatever. You need to go, God's got a plan. God has a plan. God is up to something. He's doing something. I find it remarkable to think that we're nine months into this ordeal. Amen. You all know nine months is significant in the human condition. Amen. Uh, I remember, you know, when my wife had Amy, and the reason I focus on Amy, I was there for the boys, but I was really, really there for Amy because Kathy had Amy at home. She had a midwife, and I remembered that there was a lot of struggle. Amy was a nine-pound baby, and she was a big baby, and I remember, you know, uh, uh, Kathy getting halfway through the birthing process, and Amy's like halfway out, and Kathy looks at me and goes, okay, I'm done. And I'm like, uh, no. 
No, it's, there's, it's, you don't have a choice here. It's not like you go, hey, okay, I'm, I quit. I'm taking my ball and going home. No, 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 you've you got to finish what you started. And, and, you know, somehow we're in this place. And I believe today that God is wanting to birth something. But we're going to have to be a part of that equation. Okay, we have to be a part of that. Somehow God in the, in, in the eternal past made a decision that he was going to allow man, uh, mankind and man to be a part of his working, and we have to be a part of this. And so this idea of just sitting back and letting things happen, we've got to be a part of what God's doing. Can you say amen? And so God's, in some cases, it's not that we're waiting on God. God's waiting on us. Amen. So I want to tell you today, that God has a plan. Whether we can see it or not, God's got a plan. The Bible says this in Jeremiah 29, 11, a very familiar portion of Scripture. He says, For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Listen to that. God's speaking to this group of people. He's speaking to the children of Israel. And he said, My plans are good plans. How many know God doesn't have a bad plan? God does not plan bad for you. He plans good for you. And he says, I don't want disaster to come upon you. In fact, what I want to do is give you a future and a hope. I want to give you a good future and a good hope. Now, I want you to think about this just for a moment because Israel has, at this point when this was written, Israel had been taken captive. They are now exiled into a foreign land under a wicked king, and things do not look so good at this point. If you are an average Israelite at this point, things are not good. Can you say amen? But God's writing to them, and in spite of all that they can see, God is saying to them, hey guys, I know it's discouraging. I know what you see seems a little upsetting. He says, but I have a plan. It's a good plan. It's a plan for your future. It's for a good future and a good hope. Think about it for a moment. Jerusalem, the city that was meant to declare God's name, is lying in rubble. There, I mean, Jerusalem has basically been destroyed. It stands bare. It's lifeless. It's been stripped. It's unprotected. It's even um, a shameful shadow of its former splendor. It's a powerhouse that has been brought low, and there's a chosen people that are now scattered. I want you to think about this, because if we get this context, it will help us. It's a city that was, desec- it was desecrated, it was, it was ruined. Yet years later, Nehemiah, he comes on the scene and having heard news about Jerusalem, he's mourning over the reproach of his people, and he knows that the pride and the hard-heartedness of his people have caused their own <clears throat> destruction. God, wa- he warned them. He said, look at, if you don't turn away from your haughtiness, if you don't turn away from your sin, there's going to be consequences. How many know that? And certainly the consequences for Jerusalem and for the children of Israel had arrived. Captivity, Bro- it's broken uh, fortification, it's a reproach, the entire city is in distress, and Nehemiah pleads with God for the people by confessing their sins. 
<clears throat> this is amazing because Nehemiah is actually saying, God, I'm repenting for the children of Israel. He said, you know what? We, 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 we let ourselves go. We got complacent. We got tired. We, we, we laid down on the job. We, 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 we ended up playing church when we should have been about your business. Come on. You know, the thing, that, the thing that I see and the thing that is, is, is something that moves me is, is in modern Christianity, there's, there's too many of us that have, that, you know, we say things like this. It's like, well, you know, God's a part of my life. And we think we're, we're proud of that. It's like, yeah, no, God's a part of my life. Well, let me tell you something about God. God's not interested in being a part of your life. God's interested in, in being your life. He doesn't want part of it. He doesn't want a slice of the pie. He wants the whole thing. God doesn't want to be on the list. God wants to be the list. Can you say amen? God wants to be the priority. He wants to be number one. And the problem is, is we get so distracted, we get so uh, 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 busy, and we get so divided with our attention that we forget that God really is the purpose of life. Are you hearing me? And in modern Christianity, we've got all this stuff going on, and it's like, well, no. Look at, let me say this to you. I heard a guy say yesterday, and I thought it was so wonderful. He says, we need to be passionate about God. We need to be focused that everything we do goes first through this passion of God. It goes first through this thing, this relationship. It's not God's not up in heaven saying that other things don't matter. They do matter. But what we've got to do is bring ourselves into a place where relationship is such with Him that everything I do, see, when I'm focused on Him, when I pay attention to Him, it makes me a better husband, a better father, a better pastor, a better man, a better person, because that was how we were created. But what happened happens is we just make God a part of things, meaning he's just another number on a list. And God says, it ain't going to work that way. I'm not going to share my throne with anyone. Amen. And the problem is, church, what happens when God just becomes another item on the list, then other things begin to take precedent. And at first, it's no big deal. At first, it's like, oh, okay, this is okay. But after a while, we begin to drift into behavior that becomes destructive. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is exactly what happened to Israel. This is what happened to them over and over and over again. It's amazing to me how quickly that in one generation, everything can change. Here we, we see it all the time. We, if you read in the Old Testament the, 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 the chronicles and the acts of the kings, you'll, you'll read that there was a king that would rise up and he'd be a good king and he would tear down the high places and he would remove the, the altars to false gods and he would tear down the idol worship and all that stuff and God would come in and God would bless the king and the nation and the kingdom and the people would be blessed and they would be living under the hand and the provision of God. But yet the, the next generation, another king would rise up, usually the son would rise up and he did not value 
the things like his father did. He did not have a heart, and within just a few short years, the children of Israel would be back worshiping false gods, and now they're under that condemnation again. And then all of a sudden, the result of that sowing and reaping is their lives are in turmoil. And church, in many ways, that's what's happened to the American church. We've just gotten busy. We, 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 we pride ourselves in our, our thing. But you know what? The reality is we need to be hungry for God. Can you say amen? We need to make God a priority. But here is Nehemiah, and he's grieved. He sees the plight of Israel. He sees Jerusalem and he pleads for God, confessing their sin. He is so grieved by it and by the physical representation of this this sin that he travels to Jerusalem to see it for himself. And there he stands above the city, taking in the remains. And the Bible says he weeps. And as he's weeping, God responds. God responds in this moment, and he responds to this wayward nation because of one man that would focus once again on God. And through Nehemiah's leadership, God restores a whole people to himself as well as the city. Are you hearing what I'm saying? From rubble to complete restoration, this is the way of God when his people submit to him. This is a theme that I, you, if you've been in church any length of time for the last month or so, you, you'll know that I've been talking about submission. So many times it's like we, we get this in our head, well, if I submit to God, I won't have a life. You know, it'll all be about being, you know, you know, you know, I have no fun. I won't be able to do anything. All I can do is just read my Bible. Church, I want to tell you something. If you'll submit to God, God will put you on a journey of life that will blow your mind. It'll be more fulfilling than anything that you could ever imagine. God's life is better than any life. Can you say amen? But here is this man. He's weeping over Jerusalem and God responds because the people begin to submit. There was another man that weeped over Jerusalem some 500 years after Nehemiah's time. Now, the city was not in a physical distraught. It was not in physical rubble, but there was a, they were spiritually in shambles because Jerusalem was filled with people who were dangerously hard-hearted towards God. They had grown cold. They were more about form. They were more about tradition. And rather than being hungry for God, it's saying, you know, look, at, let me tell you something, church. When you get hungry for God, it ain't often pretty. When you're passionate about God, sometimes it'll be just downright ugly. You'll blow snot in different directions. You'll cry. You'll, be, you'll lay on the floor. You know what? Because you're hungry for God. Why? Because we need Him. See, when you're desperate, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. And we've got to get hungry for God. Can you say amen? Amen. And so here's Jesus. He longs to transform the, the rubble of Jerusalem, the spiritual rubble of Jerusalem, because that is the way of Jesus. But the question is, would they let him? He says, I would gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks but you would not. You would not. You would not. 
I would gather you, but you wouldn't. You wouldn't have nothing to do that. So the question this morning is, will you let him? Will you let him restore what has been lost in your life? Will you allow him to work his plan no matter what it may look like in your life? Think about that for a moment. Will you let him? I, I don't know about you, but, you know, I've had some time, you know, being off for a little while gave me some time to think. And I'm saying, you know what, God, I want you. I don't want all this other stuff. I want you. I want you. I want you. I want you. You say, why do you say it so much? Because sometimes my flesh don't want him, but I am going to speak to my flesh and say, no, I want him. Amen. I want him. I want him. Let me ask you a question this morning. You ever had anything stolen? We probably, if you've lived any length of time, you've probably had something stolen. And most of us at some point in our lives have had things stolen from us. Whether it's small or large. Do you remember the frustration? Do you, do you remember the feeling of violation that brought you? The sense of intrusion, the sense of outrage, the, the sense of anger that washed over you when you discovered somebody came into your personal space and stole your thing. We think in our minds, if I, if I could find that person, boy, it's going to be a bad scene. Man, I wish I could catch. I remember years ago, uh, this is, gosh, now probably uh, 18 years ago, maybe a little bit longer, maybe, maybe around 20 years ago, I remember that uh, we were moving, Kathy and I were moving from this side of town to that side of town, and, and our house, the, we bought a new house, and the transition, we had to get a storage unit to, to put stuff in because we were transitioning the houses. And I was at Jacob's Ladder one night, it was on Thursday night, and, and I was here, and Kathy gives me a call, and she calls, she's crying, and I said, what's wrong? She said, somebody broke into our storage unit. And they stole a bunch of stuff. And now most everything they stole had no real value to it to anyone else but us. But it was, it was my stuff. Amen. It was mine. And I remember thinking, here I am teaching anger management that night. And I'm thinking in my mind, if I could catch these people, I wouldn't get my stuff back. I don't want my stuff back. You touched it. I don't want it. Get it out of here. I'm going to steal your stuff. That's what I wanted to do. You ever have that feeling? I just wanted to go and I wanted to find who they were so I could go rip them off. And I know now that's a very human feeling and I had to repent from that. But oftentimes that's how we feel and, and sometimes that feeling begins to move in us. But let me tell you, there's a, there's a thief right now that's ripping people off. Let me tell you something. In the spiritual realm, there's a kind of stealing that's going on that's far more serious. The problem is, is we're not getting upset at it. Satan is ripping off far more than just random things that we have in storage. Can you hear me? Satan doesn't want your garage sale inventory. Amen. He doesn't want your house. He doesn't want your car, your, your clothes, or even your money. Think about this for a moment. What the devil is interested in is stealing spiritual treasures Things that have value with God that are of eternal significance. See, Satan will steal your hope and your dreams because he knows that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Satan will steal your vision and your revelation and your understanding because he knows where there is no vision, the people 
perish. The devil will steal your joy because he knows for the joy of the Lord is our strength. Satan will steal your faith because he knows that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Satan will steal your peace because he knows chaos and confusion will wear out the soul of a man or a woman. Satan will steal your integrity because he knows that sin will drive a wedge between God and his child. Are you hearing me? He'll steal your security because he knows that fear is filled with torment. The devil will steal your health because he knows sickness and disease and pain will wear you out. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This comes tonight or this morning as no surprise. Because Satan is a thief. It is his job to rip you off. Jesus said in John 10.10, he says, Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Are you hearing me? This is the plan and the purpose of hell. But listen to me. There is another plan. And that's what we've got to get on the inside. There is a plan of redemption and there is a plan of restoration. And the thing that amazes me so much about the Father in heaven is he is committed, how much he is committed to bring restoration. One of the greatest promises in the Word of God is the promise of restoration. We are at the year, the end of the year of 2020. And to say the least, it's been on probably a good day difficult. Amen. We have been hindered. There's been losses. There's been things. Look around, church. It's difficult. And you sit back and you go, well, what's this all about? God has a plan. And the first plan is for us to become aware of our desperate need for him. And the second part of that plan is to restore us to the place that he has for us. Can you say amen? In Joel chapter 2, verses 25 through 27, the Bible says this. Listen to these words. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. What is he saying? He's saying I want to restore what has been stolen. I want to restore what has been lost. God knows the devil has come in. God knows that the devil has a plan, but God also has a plan. Can you say amen? And God says, I want to bring restoration, but that means we've got to be on board, church. That means we've got to submit to his plan. Can you say amen to that? I was meditating about this verse, and and God revealed to me, not only will I restore what has been stolen, what's been eaten, but I I will restore what has been surrendered. Listen to what I'm saying. 
In some cases, people have had an attack. The devil's come in and he's ripped us off. But in some cases, it has been just us. We've laid down our defenses. We laid down our resolve. We just went with the flow and we said, it's okay, it doesn't matter. And we surrendered these valuable things. We gave place to the devil. And the devil rushed in and he took advantage and he assaulted every area of our life. And God says, I want to put a stop to that. I want to put a stop to that, but I can't be just a part of your life. i got to be your life. See, church, we come to church and look at, I'm going to get myself in trouble and I guess that's going to have to be okay. All right? Is it all right? I know what I'm about to say is going to get me in trouble, but that's all right. We come to church and and look at, I understand that not everybody worships the same, but church, we cannot afford to just stand and observe. We've got to engage. (laughs) My point exactly. We've got to engage. Church, we've got to get a hold of God. I, I remember years ago, we, we, uh, Pastor Howard, he, 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 uh, he, when he first came to Kingman, he was unique to us. We had never seen anything like Pastor Howard before. And so he decided to call a three-day fast. So he told us on Sunday, he goes, starting Monday, we're going to all fast. And what I want you to do is he says, I, I, I want you to, to not eat anything, just drink water. And for me, that was, a, that was, at that time, that was a challenge. I didn't know if I could make it. Man, I was brushing my teeth for 30 minutes, you know, because I, I thought I was hungry, but it really was about taste. And so Wednesday, we, we had agreed that Howard says, you know, on Wednesday night, we're going to break the fast. So we all came to church, and Wednesday night, there was a big table set up on the platform. There was no pulpit. And on the table, there was an electric skillet. And when he got up, he took, the, he took the platform, he got up, and he opened up his notes and his Bible, and he began to preach. And as he was preaching, he pulled out bacon and began to fry the bacon. And the smell and the odor of the bacon just wafted through the sanctuary. And those of us that were fasting, I mean, my mouth was watering. I was ready to rush the stage. I, you know, it was like, oh my God, that's that bacon, that smell, that intense smell. And Howard, at the end of it, there was only about a 15-minute sermon. He gets done because he was preaching out of Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes that says, when you hunger and thirst for God, you shall be filled. And his point was, when he got to the end, he said, look at when you hunger and thirst for God like you are this bacon, you will be filled. And the problem is, church, we've, we've been so blessed, we have been so indulged, we've had so much bacon that we just ain't hungry anymore. And church, what we've got to do is we've got to tell ourselves, wait a second, some things need to be restored. Because you know what we're talking about? We're talking about revival. Revival, you know what revival is? Revival is not sinners getting saved. That's not revival. That's the commission Revival is when the people of God come to life again. Are you hearing me? You know what revival is? Revival is the inrush of life into a body that threatens to become a corpse. And church, what we need is we need to be revived. You know what? It's, It's kind of, in some ways, it's kind of like God saying, do you hear me now? Do I have your attention? 
It's amazing to me how fast life changed for us. And somewhere what we've got to do is come back to this place and say, you know what, God, you're not just a priority in my life. You are my life. Everything else submits to you. Everything I do, everything, the breath that I take at this moment, I do in context of my relationship with him. See, God will restore what has been stolen. God will restore what has been surrendered. He will, rest- he will restore your hope and your joy and your faith. He will reestablish your peace and your confidence. He will repair your integrity. He will give you your testimony back. He will renew your security and your passion. He will restore your health. He will revive your marriage. He will return your family, your friend, and your relationships because our God is a God who restores But church, he's not going to do it without us. God is telling us that he's going to give it all back. Can you say amen? Amen. There is no greater picture this morning in the word of God of both God's ability and his desire to restore than what our text talks about. It's the story in Ezekiel 37. And I'm going to take the time to read this to you. It's 10 verses. But I want you to listen to this because this church is the heart of God's restoration. This is God speaking to us today. It says in Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord took a hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to the valley filled with bones. He led me around among the old dry bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. Then he said to me, speak to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says, look, I'm going to breathe into you and make you live again. But I will put flesh and muscle on you and cover you with skin. I will breathe into you and you will, become, you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke these words just as he told me. Suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as they had been before. Then as I watched, muscle and flesh form over the bones. Then skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. Then he said to me, speak to the winds and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come, O breath, from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke as he commanded me, and the wind entered the bodies and, they be- and began to breathe. They all came to life and stood up on their feet, a great army of them. This is amazing. This is a prophecy. This was a prophecy of the, to the house of Israel declaring God's promise to restore Israel. But it's also this morning a prophecy to you and I, speaking of the heart of God, what he wants to do. See, as God viewed the situation back then, he saw Israel as a valley filled with dry bones. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
And I'm not talking about that these were just some skeletons laying on the ground. You couldn't even recognize them as skeletons. They were just nothing but bleached out, cracked, dry bones that were scattered. You couldn't even recognize, was it human, was it not? It was just bones. And God comes on the scene and he asks the prophet, can these bones live? It's a critical question that we all need to answer. It's a question that's valid today. Can these bones live? Now, I love the prophet's answer because he says, only you know, God. It sounds spiritual, but it's filled with uncertainty. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And for some of us, that's the place we're at. We're at a place where we're in the valley of dry bones. Our dreams, our hopes, our desires, they're all dried up. They're, they're bleached white. Some of us have had problems in our family and our marriages. Some of us in our finances. Some of us with our, our children. Some of us with our own integrity, our own uh, 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 life of righteousness. We've, we've compromised. We've laid it down. And somewhere along the line, what's happened is we've become a valley filled with dry bones. And God's coming in this season. God's coming in this season. He's saying, can these live again? For some of us, we've thought, you know what? My dreams are dead. My hopes are gone. I have no hope. What's the point? What difference does it make? This is as good as it gets right here. I've peaked. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I have not peaked. I could tell you that I'm going on. I could tell you my dreams are still vivid. I see this place filled three times over. I see a building sitting over there. I see a great church that's rising up, that's not just changing Kingman, Arizona, but changing the world. I see men and women rising up into their destiny, young people being discipled, children being taught the Word of God. I see bodies being healed, the dead raising, and coming back to life, blind eyes open, deaf ears open. I see God moving. Why? Because the bones can live. They can live. And I know that we're in a place where it's like, well, that's, that's pretty tall preaching. Yep, well, I'm not doing it. God is. I'm not saying anything other than what God has said. God's the one that asks the question, not me. But then he does something. He, he comes along and he says, you know what? I want to give you a secret. Ezekiel, this is what I want you to do. I want you to speak to the bones. Now, this is where it goes sideways for most Christians. Because you're either, on, you're either in one camp or the other. You're either in the camp that has taken this, the, the idea of confession into abuse and you made it about you. Or you've taken it and you've thrown the baby out with the bathwater and you said, none of that works. Neither of them are true. Confession is an important part of our salvation. The Bible says this, when you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you. If you say with your heart, you believe in your heart and you speak with your mouth, speak that he is Lord, then you shall be saved. Confession is a part of the process of salvation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I know that there's been people that have abused it, but he speaks to uh, Ezekiel and he says to them, speak to the bones. Tell them to live. Church, I'm telling you, for some of you, you need to write down your hopes and dreams that, have, that you have thought have been long gone. I don't care if you're 900 years old in here. 
I know there's no one 900. I always get it wrong. I always go, and then there's always somebody that comes up to me and goes, well, I'm like six years older than that. Well, if you're 906, hallelujah. I don't care how old you are. You're not done. If you're drawing breath in your lungs, there's still time to realize the hope and the dream. You say, well, I don't, I don't know. Ask Abraham. He was 100 years old. And he realized the dream of being the father of many nations through his son. Are you hearing me? we got to speak to it. Some of you need to go home today and look in the mirror. And you need to speak life to the guy you see in the mirror. Some of you need to get your marriage license out. And you need to speak life over your marriage license. Some of you need to go home and get your checkbook out and start speaking to it. Some of you got a ratty car. You need to go speak to your car so you're going to live. You will get me from A to B. In Jesus' name. Some of you need to look at your children and speak to them. You go, well, what if they rebel? Let them. Who cares? Speak to them. They're doing it anyway. At least now you've got the Word of God penetrating. See, church, we got to get radical again. We got to get fired up. I remember days in this church when we used to dance in the altar. Yep. This church? Yeah, we used to cut a rug. Andy, I don't know where he's at. I think he's in children's church right now. Andy used to come down here. He was about four years old. Man, he just boogie on down, praising God. He said, really? Yeah. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Here he goes. Before you know it, we're all going to be dancing in the altar. Look, church, I don't want you to do anything you're not comfortable with. But listen, you're going to have to start doing something. You're going to have to engage. You can lay down and let it all happen, and it will. COVID will run you down. The lie of the devil will run you down. The political machine will run you over. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Or you can stand up. And you could go, you know what, God? You've put in me the power to speak your word. I'm not saying speak your word. Notice what he said. Speak to the bones what I say. You tell them what I said. I'm not saying just go run around talking. Find out what God says. Listen, look at, I'm, all, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Zechariah 4, verses 6 and 7 says, So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O gray mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you'll become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Both God and Zerubbabel are speaking in this verse. First, God says, who are you, O mountain? Who are you, hindrance? Who are you? Because Zerubbabel is going to finish the project I put into his hands. And he's going to do it with grace, grace to it. He's going to shout grace. Mark chapter 11, verse 23, Jesus speaking, he says, For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will come to pass, he will have whatever he says. 
Church, there's something about that. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to you and I. And he's saying sometimes in life there are hindrances. And he says, and you can't, you know, we, what we do, here's how we wash it out. Well, I don't know about that speaking thing. I'll just go around the hindrance. Our hindrances have a funny way of following us. You never get around them. He says, if you're going to deal with that thing, then speak to it. Tell it to go. Romans chapter 4, verses 16 and 17 says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of faith of Abraham, the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. This is God speaking. In the presence of him who believed God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things that do not exist as though they did. God speaks those things that do not exist as though they do. And God has invested that power into our lives. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Church, I'm telling you that we are in a season. There's no doubt it's a difficult one, and who knows how long it's going to last. I don't know. I'm not here to predict or to prophesy a timeline or a conclusion. What I'm here to do is say that God's got a plan. And that plan is a plan of restoration. That plan is a plan that you and I would be restored. That we would be given back what's been lost. That we would be given back what's been surrendered. And if you follow the life of Job, you'll know that when Job came to his end, he was twice as good as when he started. And so, church, what I'm saying to you in this is that God is a God of restoration. And I don't know what you have suffered during this time. I don't know what conflicts have come into your life. I, know, don't, I don't know what difficulties have transpired, but I do know this. God is able, and he's willing. He spoke to a valley of dry bones. There was no hope. Humanly speaking, it was done and over, past its time. And God says, you know what? I can raise them up. Remember this, it ain't done until God says it's done. And when God's not done, there's always hope. But church, let me say this to you. The thing that we get from the story of Ezekiel is that man plays a part in it. Man plays a part. He says, speak what I say. He said, what, what do you mean by that? Go out today, tomorrow, this week, find a verse of Scripture that speaks to your life and then start speaking that to your life, to your situation. It don't matter what it is. There's power, inherent power in the Word of God, the spoken Word of God. Speak it and watch God restore what's been lost. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me for a moment? Father, we thank you, God, for your Word. We thank you, God, that you are a God of restoration. And I pray, Father, that you would begin to move. 
Father, move in our hearts. Remind us, God. Bring this back to our thinking. Help us, God, to come to that place of of making you a priority and speaking your word into our lives. Oh, Father, I pray that you bring revival, bring restoration, bring hope again. God, raise us up. And I wonder today as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, and those of you that are watching online, if you have your heads bowed, if maybe you're here today or you're online and you say, you know, I don't know Jesus is my Savior. I'm not right with God. But I want to give my life to God. I want to get right with God. I want something to change. I I need that hope and that future that you talk about. I need to be able to enter into the plan of God. If that's you, I want you to know today's your day. You could surrender to God. You could give your life to Jesus. You can let him bring salvation in. So what do I need to do? You just acknowledge him. So how do I do that? We're gonna, I'll help you to pray. That prayer doesn't save you. It's the acknowledgement. What saves you is when you follow him, when your heart is turned over and you walk in his way. But it begins by an acknowledgement, a confession. I'm a sinner. I'm lost. But I'll receive you. And then what you do from that point is you begin to live your life in a way that represents God. You, you begin to walk in His way with His help. So if that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? In fact, let's just all of us, I'm not even going to ask for hands today. I'm just going to ask all of us to pray. If you're watching online, I want you to pray this out loud with me. And everybody that's here, I want you to pray. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins. I give you my life and I receive yours in return. Help me, Lord, to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer and you're in this room today for the first time, let us know after service. Come up to one of the ushers or one of the worship team or one of the pastors here. Let us know you gave your life to Jesus. If you're watching online and you gave your life to Jesus, just put a comment in the comment section. Let us know that you gave your life to Jesus. Say, hey, you know what? I just, I just got saved. I just gave my life to Jesus. We'll contact you. We'd love to get to know you. Praise God. And I'll, I'm going to preach a part two to this. Next week, it's God's not done. God's not done. God's just starting. God ain't done, not by a long shot. And so I encourage you to come back, to watch online, to come back, and, and just let God touch you. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet all across this place? We're going to let you go. We love you. God bless you. You have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. For those online, God bless you. We love you. You have a great day. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.